juniper, the cornflower and the chicory. Well, all of the words you said to me are still vibrating in my head. Hello, and welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the third week in October. I am Brandon Kikowski-Schnell, your interim pro-term host, and I have a whole fantastic crew of individuals from Gearbox and from 2K Australia to talk about uh, Borderlands, the pre-sequel. So uh, why don't we start with the introductions? Hey, I'm Tony Lawrence. I'm the studio head of 2K Australia. Uh, I'm Tom Kelling. I'm the creative director at 2K Australia. I'm Matthew Armstrong. I'm the franchise director of Borderlands at Gearbox Software. I'm Anthony Birch. I'm a writer. I wrote some stuff in Borderlands 2 and some stuff in Pre-Sequel. Just a few things, right? Yeah, not that much. Um, well, congratulations, everyone, for releasing the game. Um, I have been playing it. And um, before we get started, I need to know what code can I enter in to get all purples? <laughs> I just need to, if someone could send that to me. Because I had forgotten... I played, so I'm a huge Borderlands fan. I got every achievement in the original Borderlands. I got most of them um, in Borderlands 2. And you forget uh, when you have played that much and you are that overpowered uh, when you start from scratch. <laughs> just getting used to those new guns. Well, I just need to follow Randy on Twitter. He gives out phone keys all the time. Go to the chest. Oh. Get yourself some new okay. guns. Perfect. Yeah, I already went yeah, to the chest once. Purples and not legendary, so I just wanted to... Yeah, I already went to the chest once, um, so but I, I'm I'm kind of hoarding my keys. I don't want to I don't want to uh, I don't want to kind of use them all at once. Um, when I got to the end of Fallout Three, I think I had every single mini nuke I picked up. Finished <laughs> the game, had all the mini nukes. I'm like, oh, I might need these later. That's how that's how I roll. That's typically how I play. So um, that the one quest call to arms to trade in all the white weapons. That quest is killing me right now because I have so many backpack slots filled with white weapons, <laughs> and I ended up kind of going on the main story, and I'm not anywhere where I can go back and turn those in. So thank you for that. That's that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, okay, so let's. Um, how are you, how is everybody uh, happy? Are they happy with with how the final product turned out? With how uh, the fans have been receiving it? Um, what are your thoughts on now that the game is kind of out, your baby's out in the wild, and folks are experiencing it? How um, how are you feeling about it? Well, I, I'm I for one, I'm I'm uh, um, like really excited. Um, I have had have been having a lot of fun just um, uh, you know watching people play on on Twitch and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know seeing um, the, the snippets and discussions that are you know occurring as people uh, you know on YouTube and on the forums and um, you know on Reddit as pe- you know as people find. Like all the little secrets and um, discover, um, you know, cool combinations of gear and hopelessly exploitable, um, overpowered, uh, you know, um, combinations. Of it's, it's been really fun. Yeah, I got to say, I, I echo. This is Tony, by the way. Um, this, I echo Jonathan quite some, quite a bit. That, yeah, we know what's in there, and it's been fun to watch people discover all the new things that they that aren't didn't really look at when they came originally. Yeah, and it brings a smile to everyone's face in the studio when they go, ah, they found it, cool. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, secrets in Borderlands have kind of always gone hand in hand, right? Like, I mean, the the, the previous two games have always kind of had a pretty um, a pretty good uh, selection of little homages to things like that. 
Um, and already I've, I've seen the same thing with people kind of, uh, you know, finding different things. And, and so that's got to be gratifying when you spend the time to kind of put that stuff in and then see how long it takes for people to find it. I think it's been even more cool because this time it actually, the answer to the question, how long is it until somebody finds it was something larger than a week before the game comes out. Like most of the stuff in Borderlands too, like the Minecraft thing got spoiled before the game right. even came out, the Dark Souls thing. So like the fact that people for a brief period of time, for the slightest of periods of times, didn't know how to deal with the Excalibastard. That was great. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, well, let, getting back to kind of the secrets and stuff, I mean, what is your, I mean, like today, for example, I saw the video about where when you have to, when you do the early quest and you have to tell Ned, uh, I think that's his name, that he's a dick. It's a Nell, but well, yeah. Nell. Nell, sorry. And, and but, so you tell him, and I thought that was pretty funny just on its own. He kind of falls to his knees. But then the whole elaborate setting up the sign and then he turns into a boss, like, wh- what's the thought process behind that kind of secret, as opposed to just maybe like, okay, this is an homage to Dark Souls, or this is an homage to, you know, all the, all the different kind of pop culture references. Like, where does a secret like that come about? So I believe that was Jason Reese, uh, level designer, uh, having fun. Like, the thing that's really kind of neat about Borderlands, and the more I talk to people that have to work on, or get to work on, I guess, franchises that aren't as sort of willy-nilly with their tone and aren't as, as freeform, is that you kind of just get to make stuff and have fun doing it, and you don't necessarily have to make a big deal out of it. Like, I think if you were, you know, uh, going to work on Modern Warfare, you might not get away with, like, oh, I'll have a whole thing where I you have to do five different steps and call somebody a dick, and that unlocks a raid boss. Like, but right, right. Jason just thought it would be funny, so he did it and, you know, told, like, three people about it, and it was fine, and it went in. So so how so is there are there secrets like that in there that people working on the game don't even know about until they see it discovered? Oh god, yeah. Yeah, most yeah. most people on the game don't know all the secrets. There's a we we we're you know, we're still professionals. We may fool you some from time to time. <laughs> we we actually have a repository of all the secrets in all the games and we're very careful about that and the guys in the legal department know all the secrets. And there's a couple of producers and high-level guys who have to go through and check out all the secrets, but it's it's a lot more fun for most people to not. And there's a lot of guys at this company who actually want to keep their secret away from everyone else at the company because there's uh, fun in the discovery moment when the guy next to you finds out what that silly thing you were doing three months ago was. Right, right. Um, Matt, as franchise director of Borderlands, I picture that you have essentially the Iron Throne just made out of custom guns, and there's like two skag skulls that you rest your hands on. Is that is that what your office looks like? Uh, my office looks looks terribly empty right now. As my <laughs> office has moved to other offices, I'm about to move in and join them. So I'm going to take an office shift. We do that any time a project ends. There's a big shuffling of desks. Right, right. So how many folks then that worked on the game are kind of working on DLC stuff? Is that is that a good good chunk of the team? Because that's one of the things about Borderlands Borderlands 2. I mean, this game typically has a very long tail uh, in terms of the, the support that it's given after launch. And I know you've already got a season pass and there's downloadable content um, planned for it. So um, how much of the, the team kind of stays to work on that? Oh, I guess 2K Australia has a pretty small team. Um, you know, it's less than 50 devs here. But, so that keeps us fairly busy working on a fairly extensive DLC um, season pass. So we've got that. Everyone's still working on it. And we're still loving it. Well, that's good. So did you get any break? Were you able to take a break? Uh, <laughs> I think a few people here and there, um, uh, you know, wrangled some time. <laughs> but, yes, um, like, you know, there's, there's, 
when, when you get to the end of a big push um, like we have for the, you know, getting um, any game out really, um, including Borderlands, um, yeah, people need a break, and so um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I think a good few people took the opportunity to take a couple of weeks. Well, that's cool. Um, so I want to, specifically for, for the guys in, in Australia, um, so this is a big, you know, 2K Australia is, is is the only AAA studio in Australia, and you you guys have worked on a number of fantastic games, the Bioshock Infinite, Bioshock, uh, Bioshock Two. But this is the first kind of take the reins type of um, of project that that um, you've had. You know, what kind of responsibility do, do you feel like you have uh, in terms of not only you know being okay, this is a AAA studio and the AAA studio in Australia, but also you know Borderlands is an extremely successful franchise and and it's one that you know a lot of people play and love. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I guess you know, we've, I mean, with a lot of the titles that we worked on over the years, um, Bioshock and um, the Bioshock trilogy and, and Borderlands and and even um, you know extending before that when we were still Irrational Games Australia. Um, we've always been partnering with other studios to develop the games um, that we make, um, and uh, like Borderlands is no exception. Um, you know, guys at Gearbox obviously, you know, know so much more about the franchise than we did when we were coming in, and um, uh, so you know, it, we just had to make sure that that collaboration was extremely strong, um, and it was um, throughout the entire um, development cycle. So, um, you know. We are still learning things about um, about the Borderlands franchise, and Gearbox is still surprising us. And I'm sure that we've done the same with them in the way that we've sort of taken it in, um, putting our own stamp on things, and um, you know, getting the the uh, opportunity to have our own stamp on things, and, and for Gearbox to give us that leeway over their babies, um, um, it's been extremely um, rewarding. Yeah, and, and the reality is, is we know Borderlands too. I mean, as gamers ourselves, we were you know really really chuffed. Be working with Gearbox on a, on, a, on a game that we really enjoy playing, and they had, then had the opportunity to start making that game. Um, it just meant okay, all those really cool and fun experience we've had working or playing Borderlands. Now we can actually do something about it and, and make the game. So it's, it's one of those right. things of yeah, hey, we're used to collaborating with people um, around the world, uh, working with some you know great team over at Gearbox, and I've got to say that they've been fantastic. And then working on a franchise that we don't just um, like playing but I love developing has been fantastic right right well it definitely shows in the game and one of the things that I, I, I like about the game is how much of Australia is in the game not just with the with the voice actors but some of the jokes and 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 you know some of the references and, and things like that um, the, the the you know the, the was it the, the bogan I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right the bogan shotgun and uh, and then just some other other things here and there and, and just things that you're constantly discovering was the decision to kind of put because here's the thing the original borderlands I think is the version of Australia that people who have never been to Australia and have only seen like Mad Max or the Road Warrior like think of it's like oh it's dry you know there's like giant wildlife trying to kill you and then you know there's bandits that look like they jumped off a truck and the Road Warrior um, that's everyday yeah. yeah, exactly. But then, you know, the, this game, I, I, it's just really fun to, to hear, you know, just the different, the different voice acting, the different references, the, the, some of the slang and that type of thing. Was the de- that decision just come about because you got, that's your, I mean, that's your home. That's where you guys are from. 
Um, did it kind of come from the partnership or was the plan to kind of make it more like, okay, this is a, this is a separate place from Pandora. So we're allowed to kind of give it a different flavor. Oh, well, there's a bit of that, but, um, I think, you know, it was more accidental than anything. We, we, um, we put the, uh, um, you know, we got to the stage where the scripts had been written first pass and we wanted to get the uh, dialogue into the game so that we could hear it and um, see what it was like. And we started recording just using, um, you know, guys from the development team. Um, here in Australia, and um, you know, when we delivered that to Gearbox, um, you know, I think they were they found it hilarious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here all these yeah. Australians trying to put on bad American accents. <laughs> uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty great. It wasn't just yeah. funny; it was also uh, correct for the tone and the story we were telling, because we're telling right, a story right. about um, traveling somewhere new and different and exotic and dangerous. And from a point of view of um, you know the rest of the world. That's kind of what it's like. It's it's a vacation, you know. There's characters right. in our in our story who are actually on vacation, and it sort of reflected that. And the other thing is, one of the fundamental rules of Borderlands is, if you're working on a Borderlands game, whether you're in this company or at another company, if you're working on a Borderlands game, we want you to bring yourself to our universe. We don't want it to be you're not just like work for hire. The Telltale guys doing uh, Tales from the Borderlands are putting a lot of their their selves and their own characters and their own ideas into. Uh, the Borderlands universe, and um, these these guys in in Australia did a fantastic job of bringing a lot of their humor and and their sensibilities and their stories and and their style to to the game. Um, it's a, it really really feels like a proper two K Australia game. Yeah, right. I guess having the support from from uh, Matt and, and Anthony was one of those things that okay, now we're doing this this Australian kind of thing. Um, how do we Borderlands it? So, you know, then everything Australian became over-the-top Borderlands-style caricature. Right, 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 right. Well, I, the thing, too, that, that I like about it is even, like you're saying, it's a vacation, but it's still it's a Borderlands vacation. It's, very, it's still very rough and tumble, um, and, and um, you know, you could die at a moment's notice just kind of being out and about. So, um, you know, it, it, it still kind of has that, that almost frontierish kind of feel to it. Um, so Matt, would you say like, cause that's one of the things I've always been, I've always liked about the Borderlands franchise is just kind of the world building the way that, that you'll have kind of side characters that maybe are just kind of, I don't want to say incidental, but they don't play as much of a part in the story, but, but then you'll have, you'll have other characters that through quests and just dialogue choices, they really start to kind of build their character and then their personality becomes of that world. I mean, I can, I can name a, a bunch of Borderlands characters just kind of off the top of my head. And, and uh, whereas when you play other games, sometimes the guy that gives you the quest, that's just an exclamation point and you move on. So is kind of your secret to, to, to the world building that idea of kind of bringing yourself into the game? Uh, well, actually, the, the biggest thing is um, everyone bringing themselves into the game gives us a lot of flavor and a lot of freshness and also a lot of secrets and surprises. But Borderlands at the heart is a game about characters. Um, the, the sort of underlying theme of, you know, it is a co-op game and the co-op message of, misfits coming and working together to solve a problem or deal with the situation is an ongoing sort of underlying theme to the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a character-driven thing. And even the minor characters, even the very, very minor characters, when we have a few lines, there's some thought put into, and Anthony's a big part of this, obviously, but some yes. thought put into their history, uh, where they come from, where they're going, who they are, things like that. And we want to make sure we give them enough thought 
so that they're so that none of them are just a face. They have some sort of character to them. And um, if somebody really clicks, if somebody we really like um, sort of bubbles to the top as a stronger character, we've given them enough depth that we can explore those depths and, and make them a richer character. There are very very minor characters that in in the universe that we envision could have you know great histories going forward or backwards or left or right that the uh, player's not aware of. Uh, right. And those those are the sort of things those little seeds we plant throughout the throughout the universe that we're sort of a uh, we we get excited about whenever we whenever we start work on it on any sort of a Borderlands themed project. Right. I think the, right. Um, the uh the Vault Hunters in pre sequel are, uh, are a prime example really like you know, Athena was um you know a reasonably um, minor character in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. from Borderlands 1 DLC, and now she's like the star, the main... That's player. my class. Um, yeah, right. Um, of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the new Borderlands game. And, and the other you know, characters, sort of minor bosses, I think um, Nisha, or the Sheriff, was even an optional boss in Borderlands yep. 2. Um, and, uh, you know, they're rich enough, um, you know, even in those minor roles, that you can pull them to the front and um, put the spotlight on them, and they stand up to it, and and it, and it, you know, and they really work. Right. So, so how did you come to the decision then to pick the four characters that you did? I mean, obviously, Claptrap. I think he's a Claptrap's a, identifies as a he. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Okay. So Claptrap. I mean, he's if anyone would be the symbol of Borderlands, that would be Claptrap. So, so that kind of makes sense. But you know, I, I like how you picked the characters that you did. They weren't the obvious. You know, what people might consider you know, an obvious choice. How did you go and, and decide to pick these three characters and, you know, presume if, if there's, if there's a fourth or a fifth, um, to kind of bring into the spotlight? Well, they weren't obvious from a gameplay perspective necessarily, but they were extremely obvious from a storytelling perspective. Uh, when we went down to Australia and spent a few weeks talking about the story we wanted to tell, we wanted to tell about the rise of handsome Jack. And once you've done that, you think, okay, well, who's with him? Who are the people who support him? Who are the, the characters that are running around doing his missions at the time? And, right. well, that's Nisha and Wilhelm. I mean, that's right. who is there in the, in the story. So it's really, really obvious you start there. Um, the reason we brought Athena into it is because we wanted someone to reflect the um, moral ambiguity of the story. The story, one of the things, we, we sort of make jokes about this in some of our, our trailers, but if you, if you go see people's reactions on the forums, there were huge, long threads of arguments and discussions about who's really the hero and who's really the villain here. Right, uh, right. And that's exactly sort of the sort of discussion we wanted to prompt. And we really wanted a character who could um, watch Jack's descent into darkness and um, relate to it. And Athena belonged with a company that had a descent into darkness, and eventually she found herself going that way, and she's been struggling with it. So that's like mm-hmm. a really strong character to do this. She's also... A real badass, and it's yes, nice I love all country to be a badass. That yeah, was actually all incidental, though, weirdly, for like the very, very initial decision that got Athena on the whiteboard when we were coming up with the fourth person. Because initially it was three, it, it was it was Nisha, Wilhelm, Claptrap, and then a fourth character who was a dude. And we thought, well, that's kind of shitty that like we have you know the Smurfette. Basically, we wanted to have like right. gender parity. So we went, so we spent you know a good you know half hour hour I remember us and um, Martell and Randy just going well who's who's a girl that's in the Borderlands canon that can maybe fit here and we thought ah, Athena that's kind of a stretch I don't know but the more that we actually thought it through and especially once we started working on the script I'm so glad 
we thought of Athena, even though it was a stretch, because she's literally the linchpin that keeps the story together because she is the frame right. narrative and all this kind of stuff. But it initially came from a like, well, we just we need two girls and two dudes in our playable roster. Because right. That- Which I think is great. I think it's great. It's funny. One of the first things I did was change her head to have the hood because she's got the hood and the cutscene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That will not do. And I'm like, <laughs> change her head to make sure that she um, she has the hood. But no, I, I, I like playing as her because I like the the little I mean obviously the dialogue that kind of when when Brick and Mordecai kind of interject oh you got jump pads we never got you jump pads like that kind of stuff is cool but then also just kind of the well you know the comments in terms of how Jack is portrayed at this point in the story and and what does that what did that mean to Athena I mean Athena's looking at this like look he wasn't like this when we started Mm -hmm. and everybody else is like this is a bad dude and just kind of having that you can tell that you know she kind of struggles with the fact that she knows how things go down but at the time she didn't and I like having that that little bit of extra when I'm not you know getting downed or being set on fire or corroded or all that other (laughs) stuff too um now, Anthony, was it difficult for you? Because you, you wrote a, a, a big, huge chunk of, of Borderlands 2 in the DLC, but then working with a writing team um, this time around, was it kind of difficult to kind of give, give these creations of yours off to other people and say, okay, you know, here's... and kind of give them a shot at it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't really even really refer to them as my creations because everybody does so much to make those characters who they are, and, like, that's basically all I did on, on Borderlands 2 was taking a bunch of things that were other people's toys and sort of playing with them so it only felt, like, you know, fair to have... Uh, right. ...to be on the other side of that. But, yeah, I mean, we tried to sort of be internally consistent in terms of how we viewed the overall story and what we wanted, you know, things to do. We, we talked to each other a lot, but at the same time, there's a certain point where Maurice and Merrick, the guys who wrote, I would say, the vast majority of the game uh, with, with 2K Australia, where it was just like, you guys need to do stuff that makes you really excited, because... Um, right. The, I mean, even go, going back to the stuff about, you know, Nell and the Dick Easter egg, the reason that exists and the reason that Borderlands is the sort of potpourri of craziness of, like, consistent inconsistency that it is that makes it so fun is because people give a shit um, right and the last thing that uh, that any of us wanted to do, uh, especially I guess, was to be the guy that's like not only uh, seven hours away from a pure time zone perspective, but is also then telling you, no, you need to do this, you need to do this, and uh, if I wake up tomorrow and you haven't done it, I'm going to be angry, and like that would have been just shitty, and nobody wants to work on a game like that. So I think one of the big sure. secrets of making sure that a Borderlands game feels good is making sure that the people working on it have fun doing it because it's a game about having fun specifically. Right, right. Um, I will say I love how much uh, Torg has kind of come to the forefront. <laughs> like, has become like almost the social conscience of Borderland. Like, I just I love I love him as a character. When when he the the first DLC with him in it, I was like, okay, this is like you know Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, just like you know writ large. But then I I I I personally. For my money, there's two pieces of DLC for games that I've played that I think are um, uh, mandatory in terms of how they develop, further develop the story of the main game. Um, and I, one of them is Minerva's Den for Bioshock oh, yeah, 2. Uh, and the second one is Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep. I think that is, hands down, one of the best pieces of DLC I've ever played. Oh, thank you so much. That's really flattering to be in the same company as Minerva's Den. Uh, and and just and the whole conversation between Lilith and Torg about the fake geek girl, it kind of it made me stop and go, you know, 
you really shouldn't make fun of like the guys who just play Call of Duty. Like they <laughs> play games too. They're no different than you. They just do it with one game a year, and you do it with far more than that. It actually made me like from like I feel bad about myself. Like oh man, you're kind of being a dick. Like <laughs> like there's no you know if we all play games, who cares what everybody plays? Um, and I just I love Torg. I think that that was a great DLC. I am irritated I could not bring into the game my shotgun that shoots swords though. So if we could. Uh, <laughs> get on that. Well, I'm, that I'm, I'm very sorry we never intended to make you think about anything. So I'm, so, I'm sorry that Torg was effective to you on that level. No, I think he's great. I, I think he's fantastic. And I think part of it is because he's so over the top that then when he talks, you kind of stop and go, well, wait a minute. He actually just said something meaningful and you, you pay it more attention simply because of how it's, how it's being delivered and the type of character that it's coming from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought that was great. So so from a mechanic standpoint, you know, one of the the the, the brand new there's a, there's a bunch of new mechanics in the game. We have the you know just kind of the the reduced gravity. We have the oxygen masks. We have the freeze weapon. So did the the things like the oxygen mask come about because we were being you were setting the game on the moon, and so the the platforming and and kind of the verticality of the levels, the butt slam, that kind of stuff. Did that come about? because of the oxygen mask or did you say hey we kind of want to add some of these elements and the way we did it is through the oz mask well, i think with some of it um you know where it started was like um you know we knew we wanted to go to the moon and we knew we had to um by extension sell the idea or the concept of being on the moon to the player um we couldn't just like say we're on the moon and then not have things like uh low gravity or you know not have right. things like um you know uh, uh, a lack of lack of an atmosphere and things like that. So, um, you know, those mechanics kind of were like, yes, we have to do these and we have to figure out how to make that work. Um, and then things like the Kit kind of um, developed over time as, as, as ways of sort of um, embracing those mechanics and making them um, engaging and interesting for the player. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, when, when we first started um, developing the Kit, we didn't really, um, you know, it was more... We, you know, it kind of from Borderlands 2, there was the relic, and um, we, uh, the Auskit kind of replaces the relic um, mechanically. Um, and we wanted to sort of go further with what Auskits could contribute um, than what relics did in Borderlands 2. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, they actually have um, uh, attributes that change the way you play the game and, and change your strategy in combat and, and things like that. Right. Um, but it, I, it wasn't. It wasn't at, at first. It wasn't really linked to the double jump or. Um, the, uh, the the slam and you know those things kind of assembled over time as we iterated and, and figured out oh actually it makes more sense for the, for those things to all be contained within this one um, within this one piece of gear um, and uh, you know things like the elemental abilities and the amount of slam damage um, you know that kind of over time um, uh, you know built we built this sort of thing <laughs> um, and it became the Ozkid. Right. Now, what I, I must say, when I first started playing the game, I was like, I do not like this at all. Like, it was such a different... I don't want to say it was a different mechanic, because I've, I've been playing a lot of Destiny as well, and, you know, they have jetpacks, but I think the Oz Kid is fundamental to, to, to Borderlands, the pre-sequel, so you kind of you have to wrap your head around it somewhat, um, somewhat early on. But the first time I ran out of ammo, and then I was able to slam enemies, it kind of clicked, and I was like, okay... I get it. Like, I mean, obviously, from a traversal standpoint, um, it it makes sense. But then just kind of having an out because, you know, early on, you know, again, getting back to when I was saying how I finished, I did all of Borderlands one and two with my one co-op partner. 
and and he was always a soldier or uh, you know the guy with the turrets. And so you know when he's regenerating us ammo and I'm regenerating us health, it's like ammo health. Who cares? No problem. Well, then when you go and start all over again, those things become issues. And and so many times that I find myself without ammo, but just being able to kind of jump up and do the ground pound and get get myself out of a tough situation is really when it kind of clicked with me. Um, were you? You know, kind of. You say you've been watching a lot of player feedback. Have other players have a similar experience, or are they kind of get it? I'm terrible at games, so I, it's okay if everybody else just kind of got it from the beginning. I mean, I guess it was, um, yeah, it was a, um, it was a worry. Like, you know, because you know th- those new mechanics like low gravity and, and the slam and stuff like that, um, they're, they're they're new to the franchise, right? So, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure. Whether, because you can, you know, if players were just going to come in and play Borderlands pre-sequel like they play Borderlands Two, then they wouldn't be sort of taking advantage of um, what is right. new and, and exciting and different, and that that is like the combat experience is really fundamentally different. Um, right. It's it's so, it's so much more freeform. There's so much more mobility. Um, like you're not getting the most out of the combat experience if you're not jumping over your en- over your enemies and using the slam like constantly and um, really just moving around um, all the time. Um, and so, like, if, if um, you know, that, that's why at the beginning of the game we did things like add side quests and, um, you know, try and put obstacles in your path that make you right. want to use or have to use these, these mechanics. Because, um, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen is you add all these exciting new features that really are amazing and fun to use, but then no one realizes that they can use them and they just jump in and start playing the game like Borderlands 2 again. Right. And, and that's been one of the things for me too, especially like this morning I was I was getting lit up because I'm like, oh idiot, you turn on oxygen and they're hitting you with a laser gun. Yeah. So of course you're dying, you're constantly on fire. And once that, I was like, oh right. So you know that's one of the things that I think too kind of comes the more you play and you kind of open yourself up to to instead of playing the game the way you think it should be played, but opening yourself up to playing it the way more it's kind of designed that you, you start to realize those things. Like, I, I feel like there's more, uh, like, elemental barrels around. Is is that true? Like, and that kind of gets you to more go vertical instead of staying in one spot? Or is that, again, just me, you know, um, getting shot a lot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I don't actually know. I, we don't have, uh, like... Um, a spreadsheet somewhere with the number of barrels. Right, but when you were designing levels and, and you talked about, you know, kind of encouraging yeah, people yeah. to be more kind of jumping over things. Yeah. And I think for us as well is not just encouraging them, it's also rewarding them for doing it. So their right. experience changes, they love what, how it feels and what happens when you do it, they'll do it again. Right, right. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've been with my, my co-op partner and I've said, yeah, I know we have something to do, but there's an electric fence over there, so I need to figure out how to open it. <laughs> And, you know, and then we kind of head off and uh, and try to figure that that stuff out. Um, but get, kind of getting back to the Oz kits, and you talked about all the different you know um, attributes that it can have. Um, is there ever a worry in terms of like loading a player down with with stats and going, all right, well, if you know, you're kind of saying, all right, well, how does this work with this, and how does this work with this, and 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 that they might just go add ah, effort. Well, the, the game's uh, accessible enough that. What we want to do is we want the guy who loves stats and numbers and min-maxing to be able to get the information they need. Um, but we don't want anyone who doesn't care about that to have to think about it too hard. So we have right. real simple arrows up and down. If, if I get an OS kit, if it's a bomber kit, I'm happy because I get extra right. jump through the air, and I'm good. I don't necessarily think a lot be, uh, beyond that if I don't want to. 
so right. one of the one of the rules is, um, and you see this in all of our action skills and our character skills and all of our items. Um, we keep it simple and accessible. Shotgun looks like a shotgun, works like a shotgun. And then when something does something different or dramatic, we usually make it very clear. We have a few little secrets in there here and there where there's special effects or abilities or things sort of buried in there that the players can find by dis- uh, through search. But the game, it doesn't, it's not a barrier to the gameplay experience so to find all that information. You don't actually right. have to have a particular shield in order to beat the game. Uh, right. So it's, it's really about finding the gear and equipment that suits your play style and then just going and having fun. Right. Um, but on a similar note, like we talked about when you, you find out the different secrets and you see how people play and then they, they come across like something overpowered. Like I think the thing that I saw is, uh, you know, there's lately with, um, and I'll probably mangle the, the boss's name, the Iwajira. So, you know, if Nisha has the one shield that... Um, maxes uh, or does extra melee damage when depleted and then she's got the five stacks of extra melee damage from her skill tree and then lets the boss deplete her shields then she can melee him in one hit like when you see stuff like that is your initial impression to go wow that's really cool or is it to be like that probably shouldn't work that way because <laughs> I know in Borderlands 2 everybody was was gunning for a B shield like that was the thing to get like, you had to get the B shield so that way you could get the big shotgun and you could be like taking on you know some of the raid bosses and just kind of like you know taking them out in two three shots we, we really like it when people are able to find those you know ways to use their character in an interesting way uh-huh. but when there's one item or one piece of gear and everybody wants the same thing, the game right. stops being fun. It stops being about your individual expression or your individual play style. When the B-Shield showed up, everybody fell into a certain pattern. Everybody wanted yes. the B-Shield and this shotgun. Nobody was saying, wait a minute, if you take the Fibber and do this interesting thing, you can do this interesting combination of events. Um, right. So the point at which everybody who plays Nisha only uses that technique or mm-hmm. even the majority of people just immediately go to, this is how you play, that's when we start getting concerned because um, it's not fun to do the same thing everybody else is doing. We want, we want everyone else, we want someone to come on your server and do that, and you go, holy shit, and then later you show up on their server and do something wild and crazy, and they go, holy crap, I never even thought of that. Right, we want, right. We want lots of, we like it when the player exploits and gets overpowered, but we need lots of exploits that are relatively evenly balanced exploits. Right. But, you know, right. it's really a joy to, to when you're designing a character to see those unexpected consequences and go, wow, we never thought that that combination would have had that result. But, you know, that's just right. really cool. Right, right. Um, Matt, I, I, I like what, what you just was just said. I think that and um, that kind of piggybacks off of, um, you know, Bungie, they do a weekly update. And one of the things they talk about with Destiny, and I think this is where people kind of fall into a trap, is that balance is not making everything equal. Balance is making, if a game is balanced, it means that there's no, there isn't just one way to do a particular thing. Um, and so I, I like what you were talking about, where everybody was rushing for the B-Shield, because I fell into that too. My friend and I, we would spend nights kind of farming, trying to get it, and eventually we were like, you know what, screw it, this isn't fun. We should be just going and doing whatever we can do, just the way that we are. Yeah, when, when, um, you, when you lose the thread of, of the game experience that you wanted, because you feel obligated to follow the min max path of one item mm-hmm. uh, this now that works for some games there are some games where you want you know the super god sword the super god item 
Right. Um, and if the game is designed for you to always lust after that one item, that's cool. Borderlands mm-hmm. isn't that. Borderlands is, if Anthony and I and Jono and Tony are all playing as Athena, we go into a game and we're all playing differently. We're having right. different experiences. I've gone down this ironic storm tree and I'm flying through the air doing smite from above and flying around everywhere. Well, in the meantime, uh, Tony's down on the ground with his shield up, getting as close as possible and working with shotguns because he's a close combat one. And then right. someone else comes in with the side to do melee attacks, and everybody's having a very different experience. Um, and in the first Borderlands, one of the most popular builds was Brick the Sniper. Mm-hmm. Build Brick to be a sniper, but someone found the combination that made him really effective. And that's the sort of thing that um, that's what that's what we relish. We we want to make sure we give you all the tools. You know, here's a box full of Legos, but if everybody builds the same house, we didn't give you the right set of Legos. Right. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that in Borderlands 1. That was one of the things I picked Lilith of originally um, in the original Borderlands because when you when they talk about kind of each character having specific weapon proficiencies, well, I like pistols, so, submachine guns, that type of thing. Um, and then I played um, a siren in Borderlands 2. It, the, the weapon restrictions didn't care. I loved phase walking. I just thought that was such a great, that was such a great power. So... Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad to see for the pre-sequel that it was like, hey, whatever weapon you want to use, just go ahead and use it, and then you can kind of pick what the class that you wanted based off of the skill tree. Um, and I love Athena. I think she's, I think she's great. I, 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 that, that's me. I'm the guy who runs out foolishly in front, <laughs> maybe even, even if he shouldn't. Um, so being able to kind of throw that shield up and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, come on, keep hitting it, keep hitting it. Um, and especially once I saw the, the, on the left skill tree that the final power was that it can ricochet, I was like, how would you not want to be <laughs> Captain America? Like, I have a hood, I have a sword and a shield. Like, I'm Taskmaster. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, why would I not want this? Um, but it, talking about the, 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 the weapons and stuff, um, was there ever any discussion or in terms of like, because one of the things that I, I seems to be the um, the trend now for kind of more loot based stuff is like some sort of ability to kind of level up loot. Like, you know, Destiny has leveled up weapons. I mean, with, with Diablo, you've already two and three, you kind of have the ability to like socket gems and that kind of thing. But Borderlands is still very much a this is gun is is what it is. And it's going to be this until you you know, get something new. Has there ever, was there ever kind of any talk about working some kind of system like that into the, the inventory stuff? Anytime we start a new project, anytime we start a new game, we have all those conversations. Yeah. We say, Hey, should this be a, should we switch Borderlands to be a third person isometric turn-based game? Mm, (laughs) Maybe not. We we actually feel like you have to be willing to indulge those conversations. And what it really comes down to is, um, if you play, when, when, there's um like I love I thought Dead Space was great. I played mm-hmm. Dead Space the first one when it came out, and at the end I unlocked an achievement that I didn't even know I was I was getting, which was only use one gun for the whole game. <laughs> I didn't know that was an achievement. I just liked the first gun so much I never even bothered with any other guns. Right. Which was cool for that particular game. But if a player found one gun they really loved in Borderlands and only ever used that one gun, then they wouldn't. Get to, it's a, it's like a big pile of toys in front of you, and you're only ever going to play with one toy. We want you to experience all the toys, and sooner right. or later you're going to find um, new adventures and new opportunities and new ways to play your character. Um, right. It's if you like a particular gun a lot, you can find an analog. You can find it again often and later in the, down the line. You can hunt for it or find the right kind of gun that gives you that same experience. But 
we always want the player to be sort of looking for the next gun. That's a big part of what the heart of the game, the next shield, the next grenade. You know, that's right. a big part of what this game is. Well, unfortunately, we could not uh, finish the conversation and give the guys um, from 2K Australia and the guys from Gearbox a proper goodbye because um, my internet picked tonight of all nights to drop out, which is a real bummer. Uh, I'm very sorry that that happened. And um, I just want to thank um, everyone from 2K Australia and everyone from Gearbox for coming on the show and for uh, chatting with me about um, Borderlands, the pre-sequel. It is available. You can go get it and play it. Um, and have a good time with it. Um, so um, for myself, for uh, the guys at 2K Australia and the guys at Gearbox, I want to say thank you so much for joining me on the Quarter to Three Games podcast, and I look forward to spending some more time with you in the next two weeks. Uh, so good night, and have a good evening. Good night.